1: My name is Delaney, and I am the Children's Director at Crosspoint, and it is such a joy to be able to worship together today. Now, I know many of you have really been enjoying this season of getting to worship in your pajamas, while others of you are maybe a little bit more antsy to get back together worshiping in person. See, I was thinking about it, and exactly five months ago, on March 9th, we had seven confirmed cases of COVID in Alberta. There have now been over 11,000. And I'm not really interested in talking about statistics with you today, uh, but I do think it's interesting to consider how much our world has changed in the last five months. So, as we think about all of these changes that we've seen, I want us to watch this video together, made by a comedian named Trey Kennedy called Quarantine
2: day one versus day 50. Doing a juice cleanse. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've been putting it off. It's been time to do this. I think you take this one in the morning. Have you ever tried a tequila cleanse? It's not as, uh think, as you bet it is. Yep, I'm getting dressed like I go to work. It just does a lot for me mentally. I'm ready to start the day.
0: Is that your sixth day wearing this exact outfit?
2: Yeah, it's stuck to me at this point, so. This is wild, isn't it? Some, some are saying this could last till May. I know! Do You think our grandkids will be able to go to a concert? Call me crazy, but I'm gonna try to make my own sourdough. It's not rising. Did you not let it proof enough? We've done this 50 days in a row! It's gonna be such a great time for me and my girlfriend, man. A great time to just really grow closer, quality time. Why why do you brush your teeth so loud? It's like my own farmer's market in here. Just a fridge full of fresh fruits and veggies, man. Y'all still do free delivery, right? I'll take eight bean burritos. 7 a.m., Get the coffee going. I just want it, that's my routine. I'm gonna stick to it. 10.45, woo, earliest this week. Do I wanna go on a walk? No, what What am I, an 80 year old man? No, I don't wanna go on a walk.
0: Okay, you wanna go on a walk?
2: Walk? You wanna go on a walk? Yeah, I don't wanna go on a walk. Right, right now? I wanna go on a walk, I wanna go on a walk. Walk's all I have. Important to stay smelling, nice and fresh. I don't know, just does a lot. Ooh, shower time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll work. Hi, everyone. <laughs> it's a group uh, family video chat. Yeah, Grandma, you're figuring it out. This is fun. We should do this all the time. You're not hear me? My roommate's on the Wi-Fi. It's just not going to work, but I hate those. People need to stop buying masks. <laughs> they told us they don't even work. The nurses need them and stuff. Stop. Yeah, I'll be right back. What? Everyone has to wear one! Are you an idiot? Everyone! Another great thing that's coming out of this, we're dodging Brett and Ashley's baby shower this weekend. <laughs> Thank God. You see Brett and Ashley's baby? It's so cute, I want to party with it. I just want to go to a party, man. I'll go to a dog's first birthday party. I don't care! No March Madness was a big bummer, but no sports is best. I'll be fine. Two swirls. 20 bucks the one on the left, get to that tree faster. Oh! Da- yes! You got a package? I, I opened it to make sure there's no virus in there. Uh, no, I didn't sanitize it. It's chill. I'm probably immune, what do you think about it? No time left the present, baby. Woo! When I get out of here in a few weeks, whew, you'll be like, is that Kennedy or Ken the Barbie, right? <laughs> I've been putting off so many things around the house, I'm honestly glad this is happening. I'm gonna reorganize my closet, clean out my drawers, like, <laughs> this is my fourth time doing this puzzle, dude. Look at this school of fish hanging out together. There's no school or no hanging out, screw you! Looks like it's gonna rain the next few days. That's good, we need it. That's that's good. It's supposed to rain all week. Well, if God you're crying, so am I! <laughs> Let me out of here! <laughs>
1: Well, that video was made three months ago, so even more has happened since then. We've experienced even more, but I really like that the video captures some of those changes that we've experienced and transitions that we've had to go through. See, a big one for me has been how I feel about my house. You know, I used to see my house as a place of refuge. It was somewhere I could go at the end of a long day of work or school. I could go there to watch Netflix and eat cookies and experience rest. Uh, But then quarantine started and my house became more of a prison than a refuge. See, at the time, I was still working on finishing up my degree. So I would wake up and sit through an 8 a.m. video call class at my kitchen island. And then I would sit at my kitchen island and write a paper for that class. And then, you know, I might get up and do a couple of laps around my kitchen island just to, you know, get that physical activity in, uh, before sitting back down at the island to do some work for Crosspoint. And then, in the evening, I would unwind by sitting on my couch, which is right beside my kitchen island, and I would video call some friends so that we could all talk about how bored we were. Like many of you, I'm sure, I felt stuck. I was isolated and trapped in this prison. And to make it even worse, our house is a hot spot for crows. And you know, I really do believe that God's creation is a beautiful and wonderful thing, but crows are the worst. So, as I've been stuck at home surrounded by crows, I often wonder what it's gonna take to get out of this prison. And now, as you're joining us from your own home, which may or may not feel like a prison, let's jump into the Psalms together. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take it out now and turn to Psalm 142. Now, something you may have noticed during our Songs of Summer series is that many of the Psalms have a title that help us to better understand how we should read it. So the title might tell us who wrote it, what kind of psalm it is, or when it was meant for the Israelites to sing it. Let's consider Psalm 142. A masculine of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. We'll work our way backwards, okay? So by titling it a prayer, we can assume that this song is directly addressing God. It's not written to Israel, like many Psalms are, but instead it's a Psalm for Israel to pray to God. Now, this title also gives us the author and the historical context, which is David when he was in the cave. And finally, we are told that this particular Psalm is a mass kill. The bad news is that I can't actually tell you what that means because no one really knows? See, it was probably a musical term, or maybe a literary term, but it really isn't going to impact the way we read or understand the psalm. So, if you have been joining us for this series all summer, just waiting for the day when someone would explain to you what a masculine is, I'm very sorry to disappoint you. But something that will impact how we understand the psalm is its historical context. And That's just a fancy way for me to say what in the world was happening in David's life when he wrote this psalm. And there aren't very many psalms that actually tell us the circumstances in which it was written. So we have a cool opportunity right now to consider what life was like for David in that cave. If you're familiar with David's story, you'll know that it began with a lot of hope and success. See, he was just a young shepherd boy when Samuel came and anointed him to be the future king of Israel. And from that point forward, the spirit of the Lord was with him. Then he went on to defeat Goliath, the giant that every Israelite soldier was terrified of, and he did it with just a stone and a slingshot. He then became best friends with Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. And he was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. He became commander. He was the guy in charge. Also, he defeated 200 Philistines and married Saul's daughter. And at first, Saul loved him. But then, He heard the people as they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul knew that the people loved David. He knew that the Lord was with David. And he got jealous. And, you know, not just the kind of jealous that makes you wish you had a dilly bar when you see someone else eating one, but the kind of jealous that would make you murder someone for that dilly bar. Saul decided that he was going to kill David. And if you're married, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your father-in-law. Hopefully, you're at least polite and respectful with each other. But David's father-in-law hurled a spear at him on more than one occasion, which was probably a bit of a red flag. You know, David wasn't dumb. He knew that this wasn't just some practical joke, so after all that spear hurling, David made a wise choice to flee. He fled his home, his wife, and his best friend in the hopes of saving his own life. In 1 Samuel 21, we read that David fled to the house of the Lord which would have been a really good place for him to go to. But when he got there, he started lying to the priest to get the food and the weapons that he thought he needed. See, David no longer had that faith or trust in God that allowed him to defeat the giant Goliath. He was now doing things on his own, figuring them out for himself. And spoiler alert, it doesn't work out so well for him. While he was at the house of the Lord, he was spotted by one of Saul's servants. So he once again fled. And this time, he went to Gath, which was Goliath's hometown. So David, in all his wisdom, ran to a town full of Philistines, who were not only enemies of the Israelites, but who would have hated David for defeating their strongest and most powerful weapon, Goliath. Once he got there, David realized that this was a terrible idea, so he feigned madness and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David has just experienced all this trauma, had his life torn apart, looked death in the face, and now he is sitting in a cave utterly alone. And this is when he writes Psalm 142. Let's read this together. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Now, I wonder how many of us are willing to be honest when someone asks, how are you doing? Because I know that, personally, I have been conditioned to respond with, good, thanks, how are you, regardless of how good I'm actually doing. You know, and this makes me think of social media culture, where our goal is to portray an image of ourselves that convinces everyone that we've got it all together. Now, most often, you don't post photos or updates when something really terrible has happened. You post the photos where everyone is smiling in front of a beautiful mountain landscape, and you write a caption that lets the whole world know that life is perfect and you couldn't be happier. I'm not saying that you should stop posting these photos or that you should start telling all your life problems to the grocery store cashier who asks you how you're doing. That might actually freak them out and make the whole situation uncomfortable. But I wonder how this attitude and these habits impact our relationship with God. Are we willing to tell God how we're actually doing? See, Psalms of Lament, which is what Psalm 142 is, they used to make me uncomfortable. I would read the word of the psalmists as they told God what they were really thinking, and it felt wrong. You know, I figured if you're a good Christian, you should never be upset with God or the things that he has allowed to happen. I would never pour out my complaint before him or tell him my trouble. I would bottle up my emotions and deal with it quietly by myself and then move on. Maybe you can relate. But David opts to take a different approach. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. David is going to tell God about all the terrible things that have happened, and he's going to tell him exactly how he feels about it. And as he does this, God isn't surprised. He doesn't say, oh, David, I didn't realize you were fleeing for your life. That sounds like a real bummer. Crying out to God isn't for God's benefit. It's for ours. Because when I say, God, I hate these dumb crows because they never stop squawking and they swoop at me on the walking path and I wish you had never made them, that doesn't make the problem go away but it makes me feel a whole lot better to tell God how I feel. Let's read on as David continues to cry out to the Lord. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. How many of you can relate when David says, my spirit grows faint within me? He's exhausted, he's overwhelmed, he's ready to give up and throw in the towel. You know, I think of every parent joining us right now who has survived five months of quarantine with kids, and I applaud you. I also pray for you, because if ever there was a time when your spirit has grown faint, my guess is that this would be it. But even though David is exhausted and overwhelmed, he is still confident in God's presence and his power. David can't see what's coming up next. He doesn't know the twists and turns on the path ahead, but God does. God watches over his way. So David is confident in that, but he's also confident that there are people out there who seek to destroy him. David's issue here is that the king of Israel wants him dead. And We obviously place less emphasis on the monarchy today, but if Queen Elizabeth wanted me dead for some reason, it probably wouldn't take her long to put together a team of assassins who would have me dead in a matter of days. David knows that Saul has loyal officials everywhere, so he can't go anywhere. He can't trust anyone. Not only is he being hunted down and attacked, but... He is utterly alone. The cave that David sits in, as he writes Psalm 142, has become his prison. This is where he experiences isolation, fear, worry. He's probably hungry and exhausted, at a total loss for what to do next. You know, his promised future doesn't look too promising anymore. And Now, I really hope that no one is hunting you down and trying to kill you, but I know that you've got your own prison that you're facing right now. What danger are you facing? What has you trapped? Do you feel abandoned, isolated, worried, afraid? I know for many of us, and myself included, our prison is this pandemic. And our physical space is being restricted, but there's even more to it than that. You know, maybe you're immune-compromised. So you're literally in danger when you step outside the house. Or maybe you've lost your job and you're having to deal with financial insecurity. Or maybe you're trying to decide if you should start homeschooling your kids, or maybe there are some crows who have set out to ruin your life. And You know, while the pandemic is relevant to all of us, there are still other prisons you might find yourself in. It could be a toxic relationship, whether that's with a partner, a family member, a friend, or even a co-worker. And you know that this relationship is hurting you, but you also don't know how to get out of it. Or maybe your job and your work environment make your spirit grow faint, every single day, but there's no opportunity for you to leave. Or you might be suffering with an addiction, whether you're addicted to drugs, alcohol, porn, gambling, food. Whatever prison you find yourself trapped in, I'm sure there are days you feel both hopeless and helpless. You know, the pandemic probably won't end for at least another two years. You'll be stuck paying off student loans for 20 more? You've had an addiction for as long as you can remember and there's no way you're going to overcome it anytime soon. Even though none of us are hopefully being chased down by a jealous and murderous king, the words of the psalm aren't irrelevant to us. David wrote the psalm in response to a specific situation he was facing. But scripture is both God-breathed and useful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So, as we consider our prisons, let's read the words David wrote in his own. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. This is the turning point of the psalm. Up until now... David David has been crying out to God, laying out every trouble, every circumstance that brought him to this cave, and every enemy that's keeping him trapped inside it. He has said, I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. And he cries out to God again, but this time he says, God, you are my refuge. You are where I seek safety. You are my sanctuary where I can experience rest and healing. It's hard for me to comprehend this idea of refuge because as a middle-class white person living in North America, it's not very often that I have to seek refuge. Refuge to me means a warm coffee shop in the middle of an Alberta winter. And finding that warm coffee shop is nice when you're walking around in 30 below, but The Israelites who sang this psalm would have had a much clearer understanding of what David meant when he called God his refuge. See, the Israelites, they would have experienced famine and war, different tragedies and catastrophes. They would have known what it meant to face life-threatening danger and to seek refuge in the midst of it. Their understanding of refuge would have also been shaped by what's called a city of refuge. Let me give you a really quick explanation of Israelite history. So in ancient Israel, the nearest relative of a murder victim was required to take the life of the murderer. It was his duty to the widow, her family members, and to society. This was how they carried out justice. But if manslaughter occurred, if a man accidentally killed someone, then he could flee to the nearest city of refuge. And while he was there, he received protection and immunity to the consequences of murder. And they also had a trial there to ensure that justice was properly carried out, but these cities would have helped the Israelites to understand that a refuge is a place of safety and protection, where you go to withdraw from danger. So by saying that God is his refuge, David is saying that he trusts God to be his protector. And not only protector, but his provider, his portion in the land of the living. Now, something that I don't want us to miss is that David calls God his refuge while he is still stuck in the cave. God hasn't freed him from this prison. He's still being hunted down by Saul and his men. You know, this seems like the point in the story where David could make an ultimatum with God. You know, if you save me from this hot mess I found myself in, then I'll worship you as my protector and provider. Prove it to me first, and then I'll believe that you're my refuge. How many of us are waiting for God to act before we believe he is who he says he is? But that's not how this works. It is only after David proclaims who God is that he then asks God to rescue him. Let's read together. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Here David says, I've told you all my troubles, and I know you heard me. Now, I'm ready for you to respond. David knows that he can't do this on his own. He can't keep on lying to priests to get what he thinks he needs. So he's calling on God to rescue him, to set him free from this prison. And then David outlines the proper response when God grants him freedom, praise and thanksgiving. Not only will he praise God's name on his own, but the righteous will gather around him and they will worship God together. In 1 Samuel 22, we see an immediate answer to David's prayer. When his family hears that he is hiding in the cave of Adulam, they all go down to join him. Verse 2 says that all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Saul hadn't stopped hunting down David to kill him, but he was no longer isolated or alone in a cave. God had provided for David in his desperate need, and David would go on continuing to evade Saul, and the promise that he would become king would eventually be fulfilled. But what about those times when it doesn't feel like God is answering our prayers? When we're still stuck in our prison, when we still feel in danger and isolated and afraid. I think we should consider Jesus in his metaphorical prison. You know, throughout his ministry, he experienced hardship and persecution. He was consistently surrounded by enemies and Pharisees who were out to get him. But there was one night where I think he was at his most isolated, his most trapped and his most vulnerable. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was about to come. He would be betrayed by one of his own disciples. One of the disciples in his inner circle would deny him three times. Jesus would experience torture and humiliation. He would be nailed to a cross and hang there until he was dead. This was the prison that Jesus found himself in. So all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to God. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He desperately wanted to escape this prison. He called out to his father and he said, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. David had said, Rescue me from those who pursue me. Set me free from my prison. And Jesus prayed the same. But Jesus also says, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Again, he prays and he says, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If you know the gospel story, you know that Jesus is never released from this prison. God did not answer Jesus' prayer by allowing him to sneak away in the middle of the night and live out the rest of his life hiding from the Pharisees. Instead, Jesus is betrayed, denied, tortured, humiliated, and killed. But victory does come. Three days later, When he defeats sin and overcomes death. Now, there is no guarantee that God will free you from your prison right now, or in the way that you want him to, but we do have an eternal hope in our future resurrection. Because when Jesus defeated sin and death, he made it possible for you to do the same. So we rejoice in this eternal hope, but I want to end today by speaking to you where you're at right now, in the middle of the prison you long to be freed from. And I'm not saying that this will come easy or naturally, because it doesn't for me, but the pattern that we see throughout the Psalms and all throughout Scripture is that we praise God in the middle. Seek God as your refuge as your protector and provider, as your safe place while you are still in your prison. Let's follow the example of Paul and Silas in Acts 16 who sang songs and prayed to God in the middle of a literal prison. Let's sing songs and pray to God in the middle of our metaphorical prisons. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. This Sunday, just like every other week, we want to invite you to join us in a time of responsive prayer. So I'm going to pray first, and then we'll put a number of prompts up to help guide you in this time of prayer. But I also want to say that you're welcome to ignore those prompts. You know, if there's something else that you want to lift up to God in prayer, if you want to spend these next few minutes pouring out your complaint before him about the prison that you're in, you're welcome to do that. But right now, let's join together as one church, one body, and cry out to our good, good Father, who hears our prayers and is going to respond. Thank you for joining us for our Crosspoint online gathering today. I want to remind you one more time to head to our website and register for our Summer Jam happening this Saturday. It's going to be an incredible day uh, with lots of time spent in community, playing games, listening to good music. Uh, So I really do hope to see you there. Now, before we go, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.
0: Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.